This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This episode of the Farm Traveler podcast is brought to you by CashRent.com, a brand new marketplace for leasing farmland. CashRent provides you with all the tools you need, finding a tenant for your ground, facilitate an auction, sign and look for your contracts, and receive lease payments directly to your bank account. Landowners and farmers use CashRent as a trusted platform to facilitate everything involved with leasing farmland. CashRent was founded by a farm owner who was frustrated by the lack of clear data available when it came to renting out his land. He had multiple offers coming in, but there was no way for knowing what was a fair price for everyone. This was the moment that Chris realized that there had to be a better way. Chris founded CashRent in an effort to bring transparency to the farmland leasing process and to expand the options available to farmers and landowners by giving them access to people and land outside of their immediate neighbors. CashRent's Cash Restimate tool combines the number of tillable acres on a parcel with the soil types and soil quality present to determine the fair rental price for a piece of farmland. Farmers can bid on this land and then CashRent facilitates the signing of the lease and the lease payment process. CashRent was created to simplify the farmland rental process and to be a trusted platform for farmers and landowners to connect. CashRent is a marketplace, not a middleman. Farmers can expand their operation and landowners can get a fair price for their land with CashRent. Head over to CashRent.com today and get a free cash restimate in under 5 minutes. Maximize your yield with CashRent. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. Hope you're doing great. Uh, Sadie Pup and I have had the house to ourselves this past week. Allie and her mom and her sister Molly, they have actually been on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Greece. You know, the beautiful country of Greece. They've been to Athens. They've been to Santorin. Uh, they've been having a ton of fun. And while they've been doing that, Sadie and I have been at the house chilling. I've taken her to PetSmart, gotten her a bunch of treats, been to Home Depot at least 12 times, and I've been catching up on some video games and movies, which, I mean, you know, it's 
it's what you do. It's been great. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited for today's episode. It is with another vertical farming company. This one is called Aero Farms, and they are around the New York area. So we're chatting with Tim O'Brien from Aero Farms, and we're going to talk about how Aero Farms is different, what their vertical farming looks like, um, and really how this new technology can help reduce carbon emissions, what sets it apart from other indoor farming systems, and kind of the future. They're actually, I believe Tim said that they're going public um, in terms of like, you know, investing um, very soon. And I think they're also opening up another location. And uh, I think, I thought this was awesome. This was just such cool timing because, you know, we went to Lava Loja a few weeks ago and we did that whole um, tour, which, you know, if you haven't already, go to YouTube and check out our farm tour. I'll link that in the description where we toured cacao and full circle, um, Aero Farms is actually working on how to grow cacao plants um, in a vertical farming environment. And so I think that's super cool. Nobody's really done it before. And so they're kind of at the forefront of that. So you never know, maybe in a few years, we can go tour a vertical farm that is growing cacao, AKA chocolate, which I think is phenomenal. So yeah, this is a great interview with Tim. We chat a lot about the future of agriculture, the future of vertical farming and stuff like this. Uh, I really think that this stuff is going to be the future. I mean, if you're in a larger area like in New York or like a Philadelphia, this would be a great way you can provide fresh local produce um, in terms of green greens and all that good stuff. And actually, if you're listening and you're from New York, maybe you're in Philadelphia, wherever, you can actually find their produce at Amazon Fresh, which I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. Um, also, Whole Foods, Walmart, and a couple others like a Shoprite and stuff like that. And they've got a bunch of really cool greens you can buy, like Supermix. Um, some I'm looking at their stuff right now. They've got a spicy mix of microgreens, which sounds delicious. You know, they've got kale, a rainbow mixed, watercress, and all that good stuff. Uh, if you want to check them out, go to aerofarms.com. That's just aero a e r o farms.com. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. This was a blast talking with Tim and learning more and more about another fascinating vertical farm business. But Aero Farms, as Tim is going to explain, is a little bit different. So hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Tim O'Brien from Aero Farms, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, Trevor. How about you? Doing well. I am super excited to chat with you. As I was telling you just a minute ago, I'm a big fan of hydroponics and the whole future of urban ag. And so Aero Farms does that. And so I'm super excited to chat with you about it. But before we dive into Aero Farms, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of a background and how you got started with Aero. Sure. Thanks. Uh, I, uh, I'm a New Jersey native, born and raised in New Jersey, very proud of the Garden State. And uh, like uh, the family farms in my area where I grew up along the Delaware River in the Delaware River Valley, uh, several of those family farms um, faced similar situations. And one in particular faced the the notion that their children did not, the next generation did not want to take on the the farm. And so a lot of those family farms that faced that same consequence uh, ended up selling to developers and, and kind of suffered the urban sprawl. Um, but one family farmer in my community, the Snyder family, they had the foresight to take their farm and bequeath it to Rutgers University, which in New Jersey is our land-grant university where the Agricultural College, Cook College is. And they 
bequeathed it to them and they created it into a sustainable agriculture research and education center, which still is in existence today. This was back in 1987 that this event happened. But I say all that, Trevor, because I am part of a whole group of people, youngsters at the time, that got high school summer jobs, um, college summer jobs, working at the Snyder Research and Extension Farm in Pittstown, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. and did not come from an agricultural background. But after experiencing that facility and working there, uh, particularly for me, I worked there for six summers in a row between high school and, and my undergraduate in college. It absolutely sparked an interest in sustainable food production, alternative um, ways to produce food. And it charted me on a course to get a bachelor's degree in plant and soil sciences from the University of Delaware. And uh, where I currently live here in the Pacific Northwest, I came out in 1995 to get my master's degree in sustainable ag from Oregon State University. And uh, what I thought was going to be two years out here in the Northwest before I came back to New Jersey turned into 25 years later and a a whole (laughs) storied ag career. So for me at Aero Farms, this is a bit of a coming home uh, scenario for me, coming back to New Jersey, working with Aero Farms uh, to work in this very interesting and innovative area of ag biotech these days. That's awesome. Yeah, I think most people outside of ag have no clue that technology like this is, I mean, not only out there, but also it's super popular. And I know over the past like decade or so, um, it's gotten even more popular. Like there's um, companies like you guys, Aero Farms. We've had another company from Wyoming called Vertical Farms on. And so it seems like indoor hydroponics and growing produce this way is really catching on. So um, going off of that, kind of tell us, if you can, a little bit about kind of the background of Aero Farms and how you guys started. Yeah, Aero Farms is, is a, a, a fascinating business because uh, its its original founder, uh, a gentleman named Dr. Ed Harwood, who was a longtime professor at Cornell University in Ithaca. Unfortunately, Ed did uh, pass away uh, just recently. And so we all at Aero Farms are still grieving his loss. Uh, he's, he's left a, a void um, uh, in, the, in, our, in our company, but we're at a very exciting uh, inflection point for, in the history of the company. And we know that uh, Ed is watching down with that beaming smile of his as he's finally uh, seeing the, the um, fruit of his labor from all those years ago. But uh, Ed Harwood started our company um, in his garage, literally, um, and which is the classic American invention story, right? Um, and he was building tabletop versions of his indoor vertical farm chamber. Um, to where it got large, large enough to where he took over his entire dining room and, and he, he turned that into a, a grow room, if you will, of his indoor vertical farm. And he was trying to scale from there and he was, you know, having different people build them in their you know, back sheds and whatnot. And, and long story short, Trevor, he, he finally went out and said, I'm going to go raise some money and kind of try and make a go of this with this business. And, and, and the great story that Ed used to tell was that the, the original investors would, would ask him, well, well, who's your chief grower? Well, he would raise his hand, say, I am. And they'd say, well, who's your chief financial officer? And he'd raise his hand, say, I am. And, you know, for every, every task he was raising his hand and they all realized real quickly, like, oh boy, we got to get a team in and around Ed 
and scale this thing. And so that's, you know, enter David Rosenberg and Marco Shima, who are carrying the torch forward in Ed's absence here as we move forward. But they, they, they were in a different kind of early stage indoor vertical farm business. And they met up with Ed, um, saw the story, saw the opportunity. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, and uh, they've been carrying the torch forward. And Aero Farms has been around since 2004 as a more formal uh, company. But Ed's been tinkering that for, for many years beyond that. Okay, that's pretty cool. So um, now assume that I don't know how hydroponics and this technology work. I know there's some people listening that might not know. So how exactly would you explain that to somebody that doesn't really know how this process works? Yeah, so indoor vertical farming is a, is a, a, a discipline within what's known in our industry as controlled environment ag. Um, controlled environment agriculture. And so indoor vertical farming is essentially fully controlled environments. So we're not limited by the sunlight. We're not limited by seasons. We're not limited by soils from that standpoint. And so we fully control all aspects of the growth of our plants. We have indoor lighting. We have a nutrient solution that we either use in a bath for the roots of the plants, or we can mist the roots of the plants in an aeroponic method where we're just spraying a very fine mist on the roots and keeping them moist all the time. So they, they think they're in a perfectly moist soil bed. Mm. Um, we, we control all of the lighting spectrum intensity photo periods. So we can design and tailor a lighting regime that the plant actually needs to be perfect. And, and contrary to popular belief, the sunlight that, that grows our plants outside, there's a lot of wasted spectra. There's a lot of wasted energy there for, for horticulture, agricultural crops. As a rule, um, you know, we can then prescribe our light regime to maximize photosynthesis and sugar production to produce whatever fruit or, or tuber we're trying to create from a horticultural value perspective. And so it's a very detail-oriented, prescriptive level of, of farming that is perfectly suited for areas that may not be suitable in the outdoor environment to grow certain types of crops. Mm -hmm. And it helps reduce the logistics or transportation associated with getting fresh, nutritious produce to large urban areas very quickly. And a great example of that is our flagship farm in Newark, New Jersey, which sits right outside of New York City and is in this in literally in the center of the downtown of Newark, New Jersey. And we can produce just absolutely nutritionally packed leafy greens for the communities there. And they can be eating them within 24 to 48 hours of those being harvested um, in our facility. And that's that's a powerful nutritional access story. That's an, a, power, a, a very powerful um, horticultural kind of problem solution story around logistics and shipping. There's a powerful climate change and environment story to be told about the way that we can scale and grow indoors and maximize the productivity of the space we're in. So what, yeah, what kind of space are you in? Because I'm learning that more and more people that start these hydroponic companies are usually in like old abandoned warehouses or like an old, um, like shopping market or something. So what kind of warehouse are y'all in? 
So the best, this is great. And uh, our, our, one of our warehouses is actually in an old paintball gaming facility. Um, <laughs> That's is, cool. Okay. Yeah. And so we've actually left some of the graphics on the wall and everything as a little homage to, to the, the paintball facility. And, and the other is a, an ab- abandoned uh, steel factory uh, building that was there. And so, um, you know, we're right in the ironbound district of, of Newark. And um, so those two facilities produce our commercial leafy greens as well as produce our R&D based uh, material that we use for, for developing new concepts and products. So what kind of products are you making? I mean, I've heard that when it comes to hydroponics, um, I think I heard this from somewhere where they're doing it kind of in space. They're doing, they're doing like very small hydroponic systems on the ISS. And they're saying that it's really helpful when you do something that has a large edible biomass. So things like leafy greens and stuff like that. And so what exactly are y'all, are y'all growing? Yeah, so there's some very specific requirements um, of, of products. And there's horticultural and economic requirements for, for this. But there's the, one of the main drivers of the success of a product in, um, in ver- indoor vertical farms is light use efficiency. And so we really, we have a very rigorous and, and, and to be honest, a proprietary screening process that we evaluate various different crops and we run them through a, a protocol and an algorithm to determine which ones are going to be successful. Um, but what we like about baby leafy greens and, and some herbs is their ability to grow quickly, to be suited uh, for automate, automated harvest. We like their value um, in the marketplace and where we can be competitive at, at the grocery store shelf. So we compete against field farmers for that same shelf space on those retail store shelves. And so we factor all of that in to tailor our exact product mix in each of our different farms um, that we have. We just announced our a new farm, commercial farm that's going to be built in Danville, Virginia, right on the North Carolina Virginia line. And uh, we also just announced a farm being built in the St. Louis area in conjunction with the Henry Danforth Center um, as well as the World Wildlife Federation. Okay. Yeah. And that's going to be a whole brand new um, kind of community you guys are going to impact with, uh, with hydroponics or with this vertical farm. So are you guys, what kind of like educational tools have y'all done where you're trying to tell people like, Hey, this is how vertical farming works. This is what it can do. Um, buy our products. Here's how they're helping the environment. So what all are y'all doing there on the education side? Yeah. So we've got um, a couple of different kind of what I would say, prongs to that fork, so to speak. One of which Mm -hmm. is in our earlier days, we actually uh, fulfilled Ed's vision of building some, what I would call tabletop or, or modular grow systems that utilize our technology. And we worked with, in the city of Newark, with one of the Newark charter schools, and we put it in the school to learn about urban ag with the students and teach them about that. And they were, they would then eat those leafy greens as part of their salads at lunch. And that was just an awesome 360 connection for them um, on a variety of levels uh, for that. We are working on a variety of pilot programs with various land-grant universities to help them shape curricula around 
indoor vertical farming so that as the next generation of the labor force comes through the ag sciences programs, they are training them to have the latest and greatest skill sets that are going to be needed by this industry as it matures. Mm -hmm. And then the ultimate thing is our flagship R&D facility where it's a research and uh, development facility. It, It provides verification of our different technologies. And we've expanded that and announced the world's largest R&D based indoor vertical farm, which is we broke ground on this summer in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates in conjunction with United Arab Emirates University and other industry partners there. And so we are really committed to education, R&D for this industry as it matures over time. That's so cool. Um, I mean, I, I feel like as I mean, this industry has been around for a little bit, but there's still so much. R&D and kind of growth, because I know even just a few years ago, um, when really LED lights kind of became super popular, because you used to have to use these really expensive bulbs. And I remember when I was teaching, we had a greenhouse um, with a smaller hydroponic system and the light bulb was out. And so to buy a new one was like $300. But now you can get an LED light system for that's huge and outputs the exact light spectrums that the plant needs and it's a lot cheaper so i feel like that's one revolution that's kind of happened there's no telling what's going to happen next right absolutely i think um and that's one of the reasons why it's an exciting time to be in this industry uh, because it's it is in its infancy but it's it's maturing very rapidly and i think that the opportunities in this industry from like what you said with lighting efficiency development, fertility regimes in these systems, there's a whole world of genetics out there yet to be uh, optimized and developed for CEA based or indoor vertical farm uh, cropping systems. So it really, really is uh, a, a, a ground level kind of getting in on the ground level opportunity in a variety of facets of this this section of the industry. So I know that one of the huge selling points about this technology is that if you're in a large urban area, you can produce food locally, like you're not having to bring it in, transport it from across the country or anywhere. So do you see this as kind of like kind of an answer to helping reduce our carbon emissions? Absolutely. And I think it also is going to help enhance the nutritional quality of our food. Because, you know, Mm. remember, for example, in strawberry, um, you know, a lot of times there have to be sacrifices made at the breeding level because they need to be able to transport that strawberry across the country or in some cases across the world. And so they need to breed for certain traits that tend to allow it to be stored longer transportability, lack of bruising and things. And so while they may be able to select for that, they may end up losing some of the flavor and nutritional aspects of it, but they have to kind of, you know, go for the best of both worlds. In, in our particular case, we represent an opportunity to uh, reduce uh, the amount of logistics required to get this product to the um, end consumer. We can scale vertically, so an acre farm of footprint can be up to 390 times more productive than an acre of field ground um, than our system. And so you think about the, the, you know, and, and we don't have the pest pressures, environmental pressures that come with that. So the, the lack of pesticides that we, you know, we don't have to use 
the, uh, the prescriptive levels of fertility that we can use so there isn't waste because we measure both what's going in and we measure because we're um, aeroponic and hydroponic based, we can measure what's coming out of the drain and we can dial back or dial up nutrients based on what the plant is and isn't using. Um, field farmers can't do that. They don't see that. It just all runs off or moves through the soil profile into the water system. And so there is an incredibly powerful uh, environmental story to be told here when you compare this to, to field agriculture. Yeah. And also, I mean, with these systems, you can grow year round. I mean, you don't have to wait on the season, the right time of year to plant or anything because it's indoor and it's an indoor environment. You can grow basically whatever year round. Yeah, I love that. You know, when I speak to to younger audiences, um, I love to just say that, you know, at Aero Farms, we're not limited to the soil, the season or the sun. We can really um, grow 24, 7, 365. And it's a, a whole new frontier for producing food. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what happens because, I mean, there's some that I know aeroponics is huge where, you know, you kind of suspend the plant and it's like misted um, throughout the year. I know that's not really as popular because, I mean, it's a little bit more intensive, I think. But I've seen some companies like you guys that will have like a little demo of that and kind of explain what that is. Like, for example, my favorite ride at Disney World is the land because they have hydroponics and aeroponics. And so they have this little thing. And I, I want to say it's Brussels sprouts that are like they're on this conveyor belt system where they're moving around and their roots are literally just hanging there. And then they go through this little door that mists them with water and nutrients. And so it's super cool. I mean, there's so many different ways and different systems that you have. Yeah. I mean, this this these indoor vertical farm systems are an agricultural engineer's paradise because there's so many different ways that you now have available to you to work with the natural plant architecture, the, the growing habit and structure and form of the plant. And you kind of have this blank canvas to be able to design, grow systems and grow chambers and towers around the ideal architecture of, of the plant. For example, we are in a partnership with our good friends at Hortifruit, which is one of the largest berry growers in the world. And we're specifically focusing on indoor vertically farmed blueberry, which as a, as a New Jersey native, Trevor, the blueberry was originally domesticated out of the pine barrens of Southern New Jersey in the early 1900s and became a, a main crop for not only the US and the world, and here is Aero Farms working with Hortifruit, pioneering or re-domesticating blueberry for intervertical farms. And it's exciting because those the plants that they are using for these uh, indoor vertical farm systems have such a unique architecture. And we're building very interesting um, grow systems and structures to, to capitalize on the, the, the canopy and the architecture of those plants. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that about the blueberry. That's pretty cool. So I know there's a lot of different companies out there that are doing vertical farming and stuff like that. So how exactly are you guys at Aero Farms different? Like, where are you guys doing different? What kind of sets you apart from the other um, vertical growing companies out there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in a nutshell for me, Trevor, I think it's that we're playing long ball. And when I say we're playing long ball, we are... Uh, very committed to our core around R&D associated with our cropping systems. We are, are in it to 
um, be the kind of industry leader and the industry stalwart in uh, perfecting these systems, optimizing these systems, no matter which crop uh, these that we're working in. Um, we have a whole portfolio of patents that we have filed around the various technologies that we're developing. And so Ed Harwood, our founder, and, and his co-founders, David Rosenberg and Mark Oshima, have really set a vision for long-term sustainable presence and growth in our industry for aero farms. Mm, so I like that idea of just kind of sticking around for the long haul instead of just really kind of going crazy and hopping on kind of the trend. I mean, that's a good idea. You guys are kind of focusing on the long haul, where this technology is going to take you. And also, I saw something on your website about um, partnering with you guys about doing cocoa production with with hydroponics. Is that right? Yeah, so that's a, a project I'm actually involved in uh, as well. And so it's new project. It's with Cargo Corporation. And, uh, you know, that particular industry is just absolutely being decimated by climate change and the growing regions of the world that they um, have their their suppliers are really struggling with the quality of the product that's being produced the grow systems are being challenged now as climate and environmental patterns are changing and so we are working with them to try and innovate in areas particularly around um, nursery tree production for them to try and optimize the health and vigor of these trees before they go out uh, into the real world and have to do do battle with all the environmental pressures that come from being out there in the natural world. And so our you know our theory is, is let's innovate and produce these superior nursery trees that can then just hit the ground running and be vigorous and healthy because they came from, you know, this perfect environment. And, uh, you know, we're in the very early stages of a, of an 18 month kind of benchmarking phase. That's going to, you know, parlay into a multi-year partnership agreement. And, and again, that's part of our long-term vision for, for these projects and, and cargo realized that, and we were thrilled that they wanted to partner with us over that. Yeah, that's super exciting. I mean, that's the first time I've heard of another crop, like a big time crop like like cocoa or cocoa that's going to be grown possibly using this technology. I mean, that's huge. I mean, there's no telling what's going to be next, if it's going to be oranges, apples or, you know, kind of larger produce. It's kind of more typically difficult to grow in those circumstances. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, this is our first foray into tree crops. And uh, I can speak from experience in the industry, you know, um, you know, the tree fruit folks and the citrus folks and, and everybody kind of raised one eyebrow when they saw that and went, oh, okay, trees, <laughs> let's keep an eye on that here in the coming years. And it wouldn't shock me if, if we were, to, you know, in five or so years, we were talking about more and more tree crops. That's super fascinating. Well, I can't see, I can't wait to see how that goes. I mean, that's going to be super neat to follow. Um, so when it comes to this technology and we kind of mentioned it earlier, do you think things like this, I know, you know, Elon Musk, Musk is wanting to go to Mars, populate Mars, go back to the moon and stuff like that. And so as we're slowly trying to like become a multi-planetary species, do you think stuff like this kind of might be the answer to feeding people on different planets, whether that's Mars, the moon, or even the space station where we can use systems like hydroponics? 
Potentially. Um, I think that we've got a lot of work to do here first um, on, on Earth. And I think that we, um, we are going to be able to create a lot of learning and knowledge here that may in the future be applied up there. Um, as you know, obviously, we are a ways away from that. But I can tell you that, uh, you know, this, this horticulture in a box, so to speak, or farming in a box, um, is is going to have to be a foundational element for ways to sustain you know human populations off the planet so i'm sure this will be someday long before you and i are uh or long after you and i are around um someone will be looked back at at indoor vertical farming and say yeah that you know our space farms have their roots in that no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's true that's funny yeah it's gonna be very interesting i mean of course with that with those systems you've got to have water so you've obviously got to have some sort of production for water um so that'd be pretty hard to do in space stations or on mars or the moon or anywhere so that'd be very interesting so what's the future looking like for you guys i mean i know you've got multiple projects going on you've got another farm you guys are putting up in virginia i mean are you are you guys wanting to kind of spread throughout the country without also kind of losing the focus of playing the long-term goal so what's the future going to look like yeah, I, I think for, for Aero Farms, uh, we're going to continue to kind of expand our footprint. But most importantly, Trevor, I think that Aero Farms is going to continue to build equity in the Aero Farms brand around nutritionally packed, well-grown, healthy, great-tasting food, whether that's you eat an Aero Farms microgreen, you eat an Aero Farms romaine salad mix, you eat an Aero Farms strawberry or an Aero Farms blueberry in the future. We want to be associated with not only the indoor vertical farming, but the, uh, the, the nutritional quality and the amazing flavor that comes from these, these products um, because of the grow system that we're utilizing. And I think for us, Success for us is going to be, um, you know, the best of both worlds in, in feeding people with just awesome tasting food, but also uh, minimizing the environmental impact for, for folks. Mm. I like that. Yeah, I can't wait to see more companies kind of jump into this whole vertical farming thing. So, I mean, what's been the biggest struggle? I mean, I know when you're starting a company like this kind of first off, one of the biggest struggles is going to be. Um, just the upfront cost because this technology is really difficult. But I mean, also, I'm sure educating consumers is difficult, getting investors. So what's kind of been the biggest struggles you guys have faced? Yeah, I mean, for for Aero Farms, like any other, uh, you know, early stage scaling company, it's it, it's been resources, right? We've had to, you know, raise capital and uh, use that capital wisely, um, you know, it we're we're growing we're working with natural biological systems so you know while we may be in a factory type building this is not just factory farming and so it's not like we set a set a machine up and it just produces less plants i mean there's tremendous variability in genetics and um, uh, other environmental inputs that we we have there so we have to really be on top of our game and we have a, a tremendous growing staff and, and science staff 
that really work on the day-to-day challenges of um, of these grow systems. And so there's been a lot of, of horticultural optimization that's taken place and we've come t- tremendously far, but we, we, like all the other indoor vertical farm companies, have a lot of room for improvement moving forward. Mm. That's good to hear. So I've got a little hydroponic system and I can never get it working well. And so how hard was it to kind of, the biggest thing I struggled with was the nutrients, either adding too much or too little and having the pH just right. So, I mean, that's a huge struggle when you're trying to maintain thousands and thousands of plants. So I imagine it's pretty important to pay attention to those levels, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We have an amazing system that we've partnered with Dell Corporation to build a data visualization module um, that aggregates all of our indoor farming, environmental data, nutrition data, temperature data, humidity. And our science team uses that as a centralized visualization tool so that they can monitor all facets and aspects of the, the growth and measure that against our performance metrics of our crops so that they on a real-time basis can make adjustments to our growing systems to maximize the growth and yield of those products. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much science that goes into it and I wish I could devote all the time in the world to just studying how, how to do it effectively, but I've learned a lot through trial and error. And so I haven't cranked up one for summer or fall yet. So hopefully sometime soon, I'm going to start small. Last year I tried a pepper plant. It did not work out. So I'm going to try something (laughs) smaller, like a lettuce or a spinach. So hopefully that'll work or maybe some microgreens. Those are always fun to grow. Um, so how do you feel about the farmer consumer relationship here in 2021? I I feel like it's improved. And this is something I always like to ask people in the ag world, um, because they always have a different perspective on it. So how do you think the farmer consumer relationship is? Well, I think, I mean, overall, I think that, um, it's a powerful relationship. I think part of, part of our mission and, and all, um, agricultural professionals mission is to further connect uh, the general public to the food that they eat. Um, We talk about that, whether it's understanding where their protein, their meat comes from, whether they understand uh, where their vegetables and fruit come from. I think the more we can establish an emotional connection and a consciousness by the consumer to a, a local farmer, I think the more value that the consumer sees in those products and thus they're willing to pay more of a fair price for the product that is farmed by those farmers and we can help the industry be much more viable and thrive better by uh, having that consciousness um, be transacted through a fair price for a product that's been grown because all too often you know, the large industrial scale conventional corporate farms just race to the bottom with price and the consumers, you know, don't understand that. But the power of a locally grown piece of food is very powerful in the minds of creating value for uh, the consumer and the general public. That and the word organic are two very powerful triggers, emotional triggers for, for them that 
they tend to be willing to pay more for something that's locally produced and organic in its uh, certification because of the, the connotation that comes with that. So I think that that consciousness and that relationship between farmer and, and consumer, um, you know, as, as all of us in the farming community, whether we're into vertical farmers or field farmers, we have to continue to foster and build and maintain those relationships with uh, the general public. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And I've always tended to think that the closer the farmer and the consumer are in terms of their relationship, I feel like the healthier the consumer will be. I mean, if you can find a farmer and if you can just buy straight from them, you're probably going to buy less processed stuff. You're going to have a healthier food system. You're going to have healthier diet. And I mean, it's a win-win. It, it sure is, Trevor. And, you know, I've volunteered over the years uh, on various uh, farmers markets boards. I'm a huge proponent of farmers markets. And I think that the more people can get that direct connection with that grower, but also they can understand that those dollars are going to then circulate much more locally in their economy. Mm. And that that weaves a, a social and economic fabric that strengthens that strengthens that community. And so I've, I've always volunteered my time to, to help local farmers markets thrive um, because, you know, if you look at them on a national basis, they struggle a little bit with their authenticity, right? With real farmers, you know, selling the produce that they've grown versus say a wholesaler or a middle person coming in and selling something that they just, you know, distribute or bought. And so the more we can directly connect those constituents or those consumers with those those farmers from their local region, it's a very powerful, powerful model. Mm, I like that. Yeah, we, we've we actually got several here in Panama City, and I feel like they've gotten super popular, especially now um, during COVID. I mean, people want to buy more, and I've heard people in South Florida doing that as well, doing more direct to consumers. And so I think one of the positives of all this COVID stuff is that that's slowly happening. Like we're slowly getting more out there. We're learning more about where our food comes from. We're taking more risks at farmers markets and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's the future. I mean, we'll see. We'll see where that goes, right? That's right. So Tim, this has been super awesome. If people want to learn more about Aero Farms, what you guys are doing, and even like your, your future plans, um, where can they go to follow that? Best place is, is on our website, Trevor, at aerofarms.com. We're real excited. We're about to become a publicly traded company uh, very soon here towards the end of August. And um, we'll even be able to share more of our excitement and our in innovation as we move forward in this new chapter of the company. Hey, okay. Yeah. Super excited for that. Um, I, my dad slowly got me more and more into investing. And so that will be awesome. I can't wait to hear more about that. All right. Well, Tim, best of luck, you guys at Aero Farms. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks for having me here. And don't forget about our honey boxes, a.k.a. the Farm Traveler Market Bundle. We are still doing our test run. We have about five boxes left, I believe, um, with honey from Register Bee Farm here in sunny Florida. Uh, Rebels Roost in Hawaii, and also Jay Williams Williams Honey Farm in Tennessee. If you want them, message me, email me, farmtravelerseries at gmail.com, or message us over on Instagram or Facebook, and let us know if you want one. They're $10 plus $5 shipping. Our whole goal with these is to basically bridge the gap between farmers and consumers by 
building relationships. We try to want to bring these. Um, the goal is to do it quarterly or something like that, and basically work with smaller farms to where we can um, ship them to consumers for consumers that really want to find local farmers or local-ish farmers to support. That way they can know exactly where their food is coming from. So if you want one, let me know, email me, message me, and you can get one. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Again, this is episode 120 with Tim O'Brien from Aero Farms. We'll see you next week.